blessed Sunday morning we had today, right? And when we come in the presence of God, sometimes, you know, we don't realize what a God we worship and who we praise. Um, if you see the morning, uh, Brother Nitin talked about the fact that we are uh, citizens of heaven, not citizens on earth. And uh, further, uh, we, we talked about the fact that, you know, we are all privileged to be here because the seed, right, the soil could have been very bad, but God put us on the right soil so that we could be found and we are here. And if you look at the chapter of Psalms, chapter 8, uh, we, we look at how God has uh, placed us here on this earth. Now, I would like you to, for a second, uh, as I share, think about the fact that the God we worship, the God that we acknowledge, uh, sometimes when we pray to our God, maybe we have a, a human figure coming in front of us. Take for a second. When we pray to God, sometimes in that darkness of the eyes, the person on the other side, sometimes to some of us, might be a human figure. Am I right? We can never maybe assume the God that we worship is an all-powerful being. Somebody that is beyond. Now if you look at uh, Psalms chapter 8, uh, and if you go quickly to the portion of verse 3, it says, When I consider your heavens the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? And verse 5 says you made him lower than the angels. And quickly if I move to chapter 6, verse 6 it says you made him uh, a dominion. You have given him dominion over the works of the, your hands and you have all things under his feet. So let me just put it this way. You have a holy God here, very holy, Right? Very high standard. You cannot even match that. And here we are, uh, you know, in our lowly standards, in front of this creator, awesome God. And uh, if you look at it, to even come even somewhere near to that creator, that perfection that we call, uh, it becomes very difficult. In today's human world, uh, when we look at how the world is looking at our creator, uh, sometimes uh, things are looked at very differently. Because today the world questions whether we have a creator itself. Whether there is this holy being, whether it's real, and whether you know it's all just fiction that we have in the word of God. Now this morning, the word of God tells us that the moon, the stars, the heavens is made by the finger of God. It's made by his creation. It's similarly, if you see, each of us uh, here are created by the finger of God. And what I would like to put towards you is the fact that the finger of God plays a role in our lives. A uh, few weeks back uh, in the newspaper, there was an article where they say that Stephen Hawking wrote the last book which says that there is no God. Did you read that? It says there is no God. That's what he believed before he died. And he wrote that book. And centuries back, or let's say many hundred years back, maybe 150 years back, there was another uh, interesting individual who said, Darwin, who said that, you know, man came from apes. That is, that is the way things were created. But the Bible tells us that we are all created by our Heavenly Father. So let me go to the first uh, verse here. And can we move that slide? I think it's not working. Uh, is that the finger of God this morning addressed the, addresses the question of creation itself. Uh, if you look at it, 
man likes to ask the question okay there are people who say that there is a god there are people who say that we are created beings but then they like to scientifically prove otherwise and let me just uh, put another uh, context here when god says in verse 6 of psalms that you have made him uh, you have given him dominion over the works of your hand so what it means is that our god has placed us on this earth he has given us dominion over this earth you know we are like stewards on this earth he has given us power to do all the things that we like but we are here for a temporary time so our lord the holy being has given us the opportunity to do what we want on this earth but through him but the world says otherwise no so we are here and now the world is saying you know what doesn't exist what we have here is because of our own strength now if you look at science uh, in fact a lot of scientists over the years and many of you are aware have scientifically proven that the big bang or whatever science that you call it is not an accident that's what stephen hawking professes that everything was an accident that the world was formed by an accident but we have scientists today that have scientifically proved that the world is formed by a designer and we are designed uh, in fact it further goes on to say that every individual on this earth even if they are twins we had twins on in this church as well sergeant uh, shilpa will know they have a unique dna a unique fingerprint each is individual is that an accident absolutely not well god has uniquely designed each and every one uniquely and this is something that no scientist can argue with or say because the word of god has addressed the question with the finger of god now many of us when we look at this topic of finger of god well the finger of god is something you know to assume that lord likes to work personally with us now let me put a, uh, put a, a step you back for a second when we talk about this thing of finger of god which is there that the finger of god please understand the supreme being god that is you know he's not the humanly formed that we think he is he is not he is a supreme being but for you and i to understand the power of his works he is putting his finger to create us and that's what he does because there is nothing that we can see or we can even imagine what he's like now if you go further i would like to remind you of the story of noah the story of sodom and gomorrah where people completely forgot there was a god completely forgot the creator and then the creator had to deal very very badly with the created there because they had forgotten there's a god that was present so point number 1 this sunday morning that i like to share in fact with the sermon on the finger of god is seven c's and the first c is that the finger of god addresses the question of creation because it's there in the word of god and today the scientists have also proved that the creation itself is not an accident there is a grand designer who has made all things and again if you look at the second thing is that our creator has created the heavens and earth genesis chapter 1 we all know the story of genesis chapter 1 it talks about everything but then again society today would like to in their intellectual capacity say that this is all something that's a fable story in fact if you many of you will understand today if you look at the science textbooks they talk about 
evolution. We all know that. All parents know that. We are all worried about that. They talk about the fact that the world is millions of years old, and this is what our kids are studying in school. Am I right? Are you all with me? Well, but we know as Christians that that is not so. But that's what the world teaches. That's what the world is teaching our generation, and we need to be in check because the question of creation is already answered in the book, and we don't need to go to any CBSE, any science textbook to find out what the reality is. Point number two this morning is the point of the finger of God where it addresses our culture. Well, if I uh, if I go to the next slide, uh, many people when they uh, grow up. After they get a job, they have this dream destination. Where is a dream destination where people want to go from India? Tell me, where is that? I can see a lot of smiles. Where? Canada? US? Where else? Okay, nobody's saying Australia, but yeah, Australia, right? But have you ever wondered why people want to go to these places? Well, I'm going to stop you there with that question, why people want to go to these places. And I would like to turn... Uh, your portion to Exodus, the book of Exodus chapter 8. Because the finger of God addresses our culture also, right? And impacts the culture. And if you look at Exodus chapter 8, and uh, we, can, we can look at verse 15 to 19. Let's quickly read that. And this is a scenario, and like, I'd just like to put it before you, that it's Moses and Aaron with Pharaoh, we know this portion, the plagues that are coming in. We all are aware of that, right? The plagues. And uh, Moses and Aaron are requesting or telling Pharaoh that we, the Israelites need to go to, out of Egypt. Now, verse 15 to 19 in chapter 8 is a portion where the third plague is going to come on Egypt. Now, it's pretty interesting how this portion is going to work out. Because if you see the previous two plagues here, right? Uh, there was a warning by Moses on Pharaoh that this is going to come upon you. There was a warning. But the third plague was very unique in the sense that this plague, which is, what's the plague? It's the plague of the lice, right? The lice, right? The lice coming all over Egypt. Well, there was no warning of the lice coming on Egypt. That's the indication and that's the uniqueness of this third plague that came on Egypt. Now, if I read that portion for you carefully, the verses... It says, but when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and did not heed them as the Lord had said. This is basically the previous plague. Again, Pharaoh, as usual, very tough man. And then verse 16 says, so the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your rod and strike the dust of the land so that it may become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And they did so. For Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod and struck the dust of the earth. It became lice on man and beast. All the dust of the land became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And verse 18 says, Now the magicians so worked with their enchantments to bring forth lice, but they could not. So they were lice on man and beast. Then the magicians said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them, just as the Lord had said. The finger of God. Again, if you look at this unique plague that was put on the Egyptians, uh, as you're all aware, the, the magicians 
the previous two plagues, the magicians were trying to replicate that. You remember that? They replicate that. And it kind of, you know, they tried to copy that, a photocopy, but of course it will not come up to the large standard, but they were able to do that. But this particular plague, if you see in the portion, the Egyptian magicians could not replicate that, number one. Number two, right? And when they could not replicate that, they knew there was a uniqueness of this particular plague, and they could now realize that there was a supreme being beyond all this, and hence the magicians themselves said that this is the finger of God. Dear church, the finger of God can impact a culture because the Egyptian culture, as many of you are aware, during, in fact, it is a very advanced culture during that time. Uh, it is something like the U.S. today. Uh, people used to go to Egypt, a lot of business transaction there, and Egypt was supposed to be a very high society, very clean. They were very clean uh, individuals. They were living a very high standard of life. And then you have all this lice, just imagine lice, all over the Egyptians, Israelites were kept away. But the Egyptians, suddenly their gods, their goddesses, their idols, everything that was there, there the lice is all of them. There was an impact on the culture. In fact, we read in one of the portions uh, in the book of uh, where Joseph had to meet the Pharaoh, right? When he had left from prison, that Joseph, to meet the Pharaoh, had to shave. He had to take a bath and then only meet the Pharaoh. Are you aware of that? Yes. Well, that is because the Egyptians culturally were very clean, clean society and they needed that cleanliness there. And here, there is an impact of the culture where lice is put on this entire community. The question I asked before, why do people want to go to the US, Australia or countries like that? It's not just because of the money. Trust me, it's not because of just the money. It's because of the impact those societies have made and they have progressed and if you look inherently in how those societies are progressing, why people are attracted to go there, uh, people are ready to take boats, people are ready to you know, uh, you know, sh shed their lives just to reach these places. Well, if you look very closely, and we all, you know the answer, what I'm coming to is that it all has uh, the Christian values in those places. And people there follow the rules of regulation. It's a complete cultural shift. In fact, historically, if you look at Europe, before uh, Jesus Christ and Christianity came into Europe. In fact, Europe was supposed to be a civilization that was even behind the Indians and the Chinese. Are you aware of that? Yeah? Europeans were supposed to be a very backward society. They were known as the barbarians. But when Christianity, when the word of Christ came to Europe, when the word of Christ came to US, when the word of Christ came to Canada, the complete cultures completely changed because the Lord Jesus Christ in the word of God says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind and soul. And he goes on to say, love your neighbor as yourself. You remember that? Well, these cultures started to exhibit the values of Jesus Christ. And when they started exhibiting the values of Jesus Christ, the societies were impacted. Now, let me ask a question this morning. How many of you have gone to U.S.? Raise your hands. Well, I know George Martikel and the team were there. There'll be 10 hands up there, right? Now, if you go to U.S., you'll see a very interesting thing. The thing is that people, when they drive, uh, they wait for the other person ahead of you. Have you seen that? They don't honk the cars. Have you seen that? They're, they're able to patiently wait for the next person, and if there is somebody coming in, if there is somebody crossing the road, they're able to wait. Have you heard? Have you seen that? In India, if somebody is crossing the road, I'm sure they'll try to even go over that person, right? 
that's how it is. Well, how does that culture come? The culture comes from the word of God because they love the neighbor more than themselves. Maybe they might not profess it. Maybe they're not aware of it. But these are the inherent things that the cultures have built on the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's how the finger of God impacts a culture. And if I looked at India today, centuries back, we had the evil practice of sati. We all know that, yes. Well, centuries back, they will say, this is what the culture of India is. We have to follow that women have to die. If the husband dies, they have to be burnt. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ's word came into this land and sati is abolished. Well, the word of God came into this land. Well, the women can go and have an education. Women can go and get a job. That's all the cultural impact of the Lord Jesus Christ coming into this land. If you look at Africa, well, there were cannibals and the word of God came there through Livingston. Now, the third portion that I would like to take this, uh, this morning is that the finger of God addresses our character, right? We talk about the fact that the finger of God addresses our character and I would like to turn your attention to Exodus chapter 31, And let's see how the character is addressed. Exodus chapter 31 and verse 18. And let me read that to you. It says, And when he had made an end of speaking with him on Mount Sinai, he gave Moses two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone, written with the finger of God. Right? And let me again uh, draw your attention to Exodus chapter 34, verse um, 1. And let me read that to you once again. And the Lord said to Moses, cut two tablets of stone like the first one, and I will write it on these tablets, the words that were on the first tablets that you broke. Wow. So Moses was angry. The tablets were written by God. When Moses came down and he saw the Israelites uh, sinning there, what did he do the first time? He broke the tablets, right? And again, look at this. Our God is so... The human, our, uh, you know, the heavenly God, the powerful being, takes it the second time to write the Ten Commandments with the finger of God on the tablets. I would like to take a step back and just think. All societies of this world, the constitutions of this world, if you go back into the constitutions of the world, the framework of the rules and regulations, the origin all comes down to the Ten Commandments. All of them come down to the Ten Commandments. The Lord Jesus Christ made it two. But if you see all the societies, it comes down to what the Bible says. And what is so special about this particular uh, way the finger of God is addressing the the fact of our character is that our God, who is a supreme being, takes such special interest in you and I, so much special interest in our lives, that he takes the pain of writing down the rules and regulations how mankind should move forward. Isn't that amazing? Right? He could have told Moses, Moses, you just take the tablet, take a pencil or whatever they have during that time and write it. But our God, in his special love for us, he does it himself. Writes it with his own fingers, the finger of God. And this is something that we need to understand. And uh, please understand, uh, when we look at this portion of the way that God has planned things, I would also like to to turn to Romans chapter 7, 8 to 17, how uh, this makes a very big impact on each of us. Romans chapter 7, 8 to 17. And let me uh, read that for all of you. Romans chapter 7, 8 to 17. 
And this is the impact of the character from the finger of God. Let me just read that to you. Romans chapter 7, 8 to 17, where it says, But sin, taking opportunity by, by the commandment, produced in me the manner of evil desire, for apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin, taking occasion by commandment, deceived me and by it killed me. Therefore the law is holy, the commandment is holy, just and good. Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good. So that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. Verse 14 says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do it not understand. For what I will do to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. Let me repeat that. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not do, I agree with the law that is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present me with me. But how to perform what is good, I do not find. Well, when God made the Ten, ta- the ten Commandments on the tablets, the laws were put for humankind... God always knew that man could not meet those standards. God always knew that. But it is a sequential progression to the grand plan that God had in in the world today. That man had to see how such a failure he is when those ten commandments are laid out. When uh, When we come every Sunday morning and reflect on the week gone by, we know how imperfect we are. We know it's only through the Lord Jesus Christ that is in front of us we can go and come to this holy God. Every Sunday that we reflect, uh, I'm sure each of you will agree, including myself, that there is not a single way we can say that we were 100% to the standards of the holy God. It's through the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me now move quickly our attention to the fact of the next portion, which is on the fact that The finger of God addresses our conduct. And can we move to the book of Daniel? For the book of Daniel chapter 5, because the finger of God addresses our conduct. And let's move to the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 5. And this is a party going on in uh, Belshazzar's place. And many of us know the story. The kids know the story. Daniel chapter 5. And uh, let me read from the first six verses of Daniel chapter 5, just to uh, take us back in time. Belshazzar the king made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in the presence of the thousand. While he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring good, bring the gold and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple, which had been in Jerusalem, that the king and his lords, his wives, his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of God, which had been in Jerusalem. And the king and his lords, his wives, his concubines drank from them. And not only that, were the first four, they drank wine, praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood and stone. And that's when, in the same hour, verse 5, the fingers of man's hand appeared 
and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. The finger of God addressing man's conduct. Belsazar, not only was having a nice party there and uh, committing all the sins of the world, he was also profaning God's vessels from the temple. Not only that, for, for the time that he is in the power that he is, he forgot God himself. He forgot who this God is that is giving him the dominion that he is permitted to on this earth. And God is seeing that. And if you look at Daniel chapter 5 and verse 22 to 28, well, Daniel, as we know, the great man he is, is telling Belshazzar where he went wrong and what does the writings on the wall mean. And let me read to you Daniel 22 and 20, uh, 28, 28, which says, But you, his son Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all this, you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. They have brought the vessels of his house before you, and you and your lords, your wives, your concubines have drunk wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold. And if you further go in this chapter, you see in verse 24, Then the fingers of the hand were sent from him, and this writing was written, right? And we know what the writing is, where God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. You have been weighed in balances and found wanting. I don't want to go any further here, but I want to just remind all of us that the finger of God is also looking at our conduct, looking at how we address him. Because in fact, if you look at this entire portion here, I think the biggest sin that Belshazzar did, apart from all the list of things that he did, was the fact that he forgot that there was a God who has given him the opportunity to rule over the land. He forgot there's a God and he was worshipping all the other gods and goddesses and insulting our heavenly being by doing what he did. Many times in life, we as Christians sometimes, uh, or even the world itself, forget the Creator. We forget who is, uh, you know, giving us this opportunity to have a job, a business, or whatever you're doing. There is something beyond. And we, we think that it's all because of our, us. And many times we need to understand that there is a God who's watching over the conduct of you and I in our lives here. Because our life here is for a very certain period of time. That's it, 60, 70 years. As Brother Nitin said, right? We are citizens of heaven. We are here on a temporary visa, an H-1B visa for a few years, right? On this planet Earth. Now let's look at the next verse, or the next uh, portion, which talks about the finger of God addressing our conscience. And this is a very familiar portion for all of us. John chapter 8. John chapter 8. And uh, we all know this, uh, this story pretty well. Right, John chapter 8, and I'll just read from uh, perhaps from verse 5 to 8. Because this story is about the adulterous woman and the Jews coming to Jesus and saying, we want to stone her. We want to kill this woman for committing the sin. We all know that. And here in verse 5, now Moses and the law commanded us that, we, that such should be stoned. But what do you say? The Jews are asking Jesus there, what do you need us to do? They're testing him. And we know what happens. And this they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger, right? As though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down 
and he wrote on the ground, continued writing on the ground. And as we read this portion, we know that not a single one, the Pharisees, the rabbis, the religious leaders, all the people there who want to stone that woman, not a single one left. And in fact, in the end of the story, we all know that Jesus Christ forgave that woman and said, do not sin again. And she went away. This was a very interesting story because this story also talks about uh, our lives. Because many times we are on judgment of other people. We judge our friend. We judge our neighbor. We judge our colleague. And forget that there might be 10 sins that we might have done, but we are in judgment of somebody else. Because the word of God says, do not judge others. Others, judge yourself. And it's very important because you know what? When Jesus Christ was riding on the ground there, we do not know what he was writing. Am I right? The word of God does not say that. But just by using his finger and writing whatever he was writing, the people all around him just left the place because they knew in their hearts, in their conscience, they, they were not perfect. They were not right. And that is the case with you and I this Sunday morning. Maybe there is somebody that you have a difference of opinion. There is somebody this morning maybe you find not right with. Maybe somebody outside, somebody inside. But again, the word of God says that we cannot cast that stone because we are all imperfect beings. And we are only perfect through Jesus Christ who is there between us and our God that we worship. So the finger of God also addresses our conscience itself. The next portion that I would like to read uh, and go into is that the finger of God addresses our intimate concerns. In fact, this is number six. I'll call it the sixth C, the sixth one. And I would like to turn your attention to Mark chapter seven. Mark chapter seven. And this is a, a miracle which the Lord Jesus Christ is doing. Mark chapter seven, verse 32 to 37. And let me read that to you and let's listen carefully. Mark chapter seven, 32. Then they brought to him one who was deaf and had impediment in his speech. They begged him to put his hand on him. He took him aside from the multitude, put his fingers in his ears. He spat and touched his tongue. Then looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephotha, that is be open. And immediately his ears were opened and the impediment of his tongue was loosed. He spoke plainly. Then he commanded them that they should tell no one. But the more he commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure saying he has done all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. A very interesting miracle here. Now Jesus Christ did every miracle uniquely. Am I right? Every miracle of his that he did on this earth was unique. It is never repeated twice. And this was a miracle where, if you see, he was spitting. Now we know that there are three miracles of Jesus in the Bible where he spits, but each of them to heal somebody, but each of them was unique in his own way. And this was a very particular instance where he spits and, uh, you know, brings the person hearing and speaking. Now, why does the Lord do that? He could have just told him, be healed. You can hear and speak and the guy could have been healed. But God wanted to touch him and heal him there. And if you see this portion, I'm sure that the deaf and dumb person who was there had a concern to be healed. He could not even share that with the Lord Jesus Christ. And the people around him shared that. Many times, you and I have concerns. You have concerns that you cannot share with anybody. You cannot share with the people around you because it is so personal to you. 
You cannot maybe even share it maybe with your family or the people in the church. Well, you can share your concerns with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he's there to rectify all issues. In fact, if you read this, uh, uh, this verse very carefully in verse 33, he took this person aside from the multitude. Did you see that? He did not do the miracle in between all the multitude. He took him out uh, aside. So it was a personal connection. It was a personal connection with the Lord Jesus Christ and that deaf and dumb person. It was a personal, intimate connection. He was doing that miracle separately from the multitude. He didn't want to show off. He didn't want to show the people that, hey, you know, I did this. No. He wanted to connect and address the concern of that individual. Dear church, this morning, many of us here might have concerns, might have challenges. But if you go to our Lord Jesus Christ, those concerns can be raised because he's ready to touch you. He's ready to place that finger of God in your lives and touch you and heal you from that concern that you have. The question is, are you able to address, are you able to go before him and share that concern? He's waiting for you to share that concern with him. And I'm sure the Lord is able to answer that. Now, the next point that I would like to share, and the final one, is that the finger of God addresses our condition. Addresses our condition. Now, concern and condition are two different things. Concern is where you have a concern, and you're sharing with Christ, there is something bottled up. A condition is slightly different. A condition is something where you might even not know there's a problem. Are you with me? A condition is different from a concern because condition sometimes is somewhere you don't even realize that you've got a problem. You're living life. You're going ahead. Everything is going fine, but you don't know what's happening in your life. Things are going fine. Let's look at Luke chapter 11. Verse 14 to 20. Luke chapter 11, verse 14 to 20. And let's see how the Lord Jesus Christ deals with the condition of man. Because here we see that a few people are complaining about the Lord Jesus Christ, if you read very carefully. And he was casting out a demon, and it was mute. So it was, when the demon had gone out, that the mute spoke, and the multitudes marveled. But some of them said, he cast out demon by Belzebub, the ruler of the demons. Others testing him sought for him, a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. A house divided against a house falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will the kingdom stand? Because you say, I cast out demons by Belzebub. And if I cast out demons by Belzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. And verse 20, it says, but if I cast out demons with the finger of God, Surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. The finger of God. Right? The Lord Jesus Christ addressing the situation, the condition of the person who is not even aware. If you look at Mark chapter 5, we have that demonic possessed man. And we know that how Jesus Christ left the boat and directly went to that person. He didn't take rest after all the miracles he did on the side. He went and addressed the situation, the condition of the demonic possessed man. Did the demonic possessed man come to Jesus? Did he? Well, Jesus went to the demonic possessed man and addressed his condition. This morning, there might be some of us who have a condition, who might have a challenge. And it's only the Lord Jesus Christ who can address that. And you might even not know about it. And the finger of God can address your condition as well, dear church. And if you look at it, our God is a personal God who can, who can work in your life in a personal capacity. He can come down 
to our, our lowly standards to address the conditions of our life. And let me now uh, quickly recap on the different uh, areas that the finger of God can address. Let's look at it and let's refresh. The finger of God addresses the question of, can you read it to me? Creation. The finger of God addresses our everyday culture. The finger of God addresses our? The finger of God addresses our? That's in Daniel. The finger of God addresses our conscience. And the finger of God, let me just go back, addresses our? Concerns And finally, the finger of God addresses our condition. The seven C's. I call it the seven C's. Dear church, this morning, I don't know which area of your life you need the finger of God to work. But are you ready to receive Jesus in your life so that he can work in you? It might be all seven of them or it might be one of them or two of them you have questions on. But he's ready to address them if you're opening your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I would like to take this opportunity to thank the elders of the church and the, uh, the leadership committee for giving me this opportunity to share the word. And, and I would like to uh, thank each and every one of you in this church for your patient listening. May his name be glorified.